All right, welcome to podcast number one of DFW Confidential with my guinea pig, co-host, guest, David Schaefer of Schaefer Investigations. How are you doing today, David? I'm all right, but you got to get it right or figure it out anyway. Am I a co-host? Am I a guest? What the hell am I? We don't know. We're going to see how you do today. Oh, is that it? Yes, that's it. We really don't know what we're doing, if you can't tell by the last hour we've spent trying to set up the equipment. So we apologize if there's any poor audio quality in advance. David's decided to be guest number one. And I guess first, David, let's talk about who you are. And uh, you're from Schaefer Investigations. We've worked together before. Uh, How long have you been a private investigator? Um, on my eighth year as a private investigator. Eighth year. So, uh, how did you get into the private investigative field to get started? Well, do you want the long story or the short story? We got all the time in the world. You can do the long story. All right. So, 2007, I get divorced. She signs a waiver. Wait 60 days. Job's done. Not two months later, I end up taking her back to court. And I have to pay a small fortune to a process server. So here I am. By her, you mean your ex-wife? Yes. Okay. So here I am, working at a five-and-dime gun store, making little to no money, and I'm paying a small fortune to a process server, and I'm looking at it going, you know, I'm a reasonably intelligent guy. Why am I not making this money? So that's how I got into the process service business. Then I guess it was about a, a year and a half later, is when I started receiving calls from various attorneys that I'd worked with asking me to do stuff, you know, jobs that required a private investigator's license. Mm-hmm. And when I would turn it down and tell them, no, you, you have to be licensed as an investigator, do this, 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 and this, they would go and find a private, a private investigator, and that private investigator would be certified as a process server, and next thing you know, I lose a client. What kind of things were they asking you to do? Background checks, skip traces, things of that nature. You know, in Texas, if you're a process server and you have the documents in hand to serve, Mm -hmm. there's nothing illegal about you using a database to conduct a skip trace for the purposes of perfecting that service. But if you do not actually have papers in hand, then it's considered you you are performing a skip trace without a license. And you're doing it just for the money and just for the sake of performing that skip trace. So you're at that point, you're in violation of uh, Chapter 1702 of the Texas Government Code, or Texas Occupations Code, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are some carve-outs in that. I don't want to get too inside baseball right now, but... So you're getting divorced. You're spending a lot of money on process server. Uh, you decided that maybe you should get your uh, throw your hat in the game. And uh, so that your attorneys are asking you to do PI work. And at what route did you take? What kind of, how did you get into the business? Because I know there's a lot of people that always ask that. You know, they always say, how do you get in? How do you become a PI? Uh, well, I took a variety of courses for some information. Uh, I'm not going to plug any of them. But along and short of it, the way that I gained the most knowledge was just from working under somebody else's license mm-hmm. and acting as a apprentice, if you will. And what were those first cases, like workman's comp, that type of deal? Uh, for that particular investigator, yes, workman's comp and yeah. uh, surveillance, things of that nature. And then I was registered under another company that I worked some criminal cases under. Yeah, yeah. So... What do you think is the best part and the worst part about being a PI? Uh, the best part is whenever possible, if you own your own company, you're your own boss. Yeah. That's the best part. The worst part is you deal with a variety of people that, you know, sometimes leave you questioning what we have in this world. Yeah. Um, I know myself, I was surprised by some of the early calls that I got. Um, seemed like a lot of people, whether they were in their right mind or not, were just upset about something and wanting somebody to do about it. Something to some wanting someone to do something about it. Um, 
I had everything from one guy that claimed he was being racially discriminated against in the uh, hotel that he was renting by the week or the month. And uh, you know, one guy said he woke up in a ditch and some, somebody beat him up and he couldn't figure out who did it. And um, even one lady, you know, got the, I need somebody to help me remove the implant that the CIA or the aliens put in. I literally got that phone call. Um, and that, that's when I learned to stop answering the phone after 11 p.m. <laughs> Didn't eliminate the calls, but it definitely reduced them. So, well, what's the weirdest call that you can remember getting? Uh, Obviously not a client because we can't divulge right, any right, confidentiality. Right. Something but just, we discussed before we started yeah. this. Um, the weirdest call. Man, and that... I gotta say, you've got me beat with the uh, CIA implant. I haven't gotten that call yet. I can't remember. It may have been aliens. It was the aliens or, or the CIA or the government. One or the other. Could be both. The CIA could be working with the aliens to do these implants. Yeah, see, I've never gotten that call. Uh, it's, um, you know, probably the some of the weirdest calls I've gotten were from people that I just instinctively knew. They were not being straightforward with me. They weren't on the up and up. Yeah. And, you know, when you... Um, those are usually the skip trace calls. Yeah. Or missing persons, as a lot of people like to call them. And when you get those calls, there's a set number of rules that you have to follow. You know, number one thing being that, okay, if this is an adult that's not mentally ill and you don't have some kind of order giving you basically custodial ship of this adult then i have to make contact with this adult and seek this adult's permission to release his or her location to you yeah and a lot of people that call private investigators don't quite understand that and they don't understand why that is well why don't you explain why that is oh uh, well do you know who rebecca schaefer was no relation to me. No relation? No, I don't then. Okay. Rebecca Schaefer was an actress in Hollywood in the 1980s, and she was a TV actress. She had a small following, and one of her fans turned into a stalker. Okay. Well, this stalker decided, when he didn't get enough attention from her, to hire a private investigator to locate her residence. The private investigator found her handed over the resident's address to this stalker, and the stalker followed up by showing up to her front door, knocking or ringing the doorbell, whichever one, I don't remember which, and when she answered the door, he murdered her with a handgun. Ouch. Yeah. So, there's no law that says that that's the way it has to be done. It's just kind of a best practices... Let's put it this way. It may not be written in the law, yeah. But if one subject, as we call them, files a complaint against you stating that you located their address and handed it over to somebody without seeking their permission first, and there wasn't a court paper to serve them with or something of equal necessity requiring immediate handing over mm-hmm. without notifying them, mm-hmm. you will lose your license. Hmm. You, you, you've seen that happen before? Uh, I have heard of it happen. Let's be straightforward of that. I'm not going to yeah. tell you that I've seen something that happened that I have not, yeah. but I have heard of it happening. Well, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, I, I don't, I've never personally heard but of anybody losing their license, but I, I definitely agree. It's a definitely a best practices issue, um, especially these day, this day and age. You know, when I hear, especially when you have a man, you know, it's, I don't know, is that, is that sexist now? Or I don't know. But if you have a man wanting to find a woman, you know, the radar always goes up. Um, sometimes people think somebody's missing and you have to inform them, no, she just left and forgot to give you a forwarding address. <laughs> <laughs> There's a difference. I think my favorite of all those calls was a guy that called me and he was very sincere. He wanted me to find his high school love for him. Oh. All right, you know, I'll tolerate the call. I'm pretty certain I'm not going to take the case, but let me hear him. Let's hear him out. Maybe, you know, he can say something that'll convince me otherwise. And he's sincere about everything that, you know, he's saying. He really loved her. He really wanted to make contact with her. Okay, fine, great. Then we talk, and I said, well, I can find her. 
but there's a service agreement you have to sign before we do anything else then you're gonna have to pay me my fee and you need to understand that when I find her I'm gonna take one photograph of her to prove that I found her if possible yeah then I'm gonna make contact with her and I'm gonna get her permission to release her whereabouts to you if she says no I am not releasing her whereabouts and the case is over and he said well I don't know if I'm all that comfortable with it I said well I said I completely understand that but those are the rules and if you want to hire my company that's how we're going to do it and it's going to be handwritten in the notes addendum of the contract he said well okay let's go on ahead and do it well how much is this I quoted him the hourly rate and I told him what the expense was what the retainer is and he said or what the retainer for that particular job was or case and he said well is there anything we can do on that I really can't afford that much <laughs> I just got out of prison <laughs> to say the least I immediately said I'm sorry sir but you're gonna have to find yourself another private investigator I hung up the phone and then turned around and blocked his number yeah yeah um, I when I, I think my weirdest one I got suckered in on it wasn't quite that dramatic but I did have a a lady called me at 11 o'clock at night and um, I won't say from exactly where but it was a very nice part of town and um, I thought well finally a prospective client that probably has some money <laughs> um, and she had it this is kind of reverse she had a story that she was being stalked by a waiter at a, a, a local restaurant in a neighborhood, a nice restaurant, well-known restaurant. Um, and I won't say the name of it either. Um, and she went on to this long story. I mean, she was almost just in a, a, a panic and said she just um, walked her dog and had gone outside and this guy was there and just this big, long, convoluted story and just feeding me. I think she kept me on the phone for two hours. It must have been 11 o'clock at night. I had I had nothing going on. I got no life, you know. I'm just sitting there listening to her well, talk. You're a private investigator. If you're a private investigator, the only life you have is private investigations. It's starting to feel that way, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, so she goes on and on, and then she starts feeding me enough clues, and we finally find this guy on Facebook. I mean, down to his dog and everything. And uh, we get a name, and I do, you know, my magic online, and I don't even know why I'm doing this. I'm just rolling with this story. And um, she told me that he had been, um, that this wasn't the first time that he had come out there before, and that the police had stopped him. And it was a small police department, so I, I said, well, then there should be a call for service record, you know, easy to verify who he is. And she basically was like, I, I think just doing it for the drama. Like, she knew everything to say. She goes, she said that the police had asked her to go to the window where they had him in the squad car and to read some statement to him so that they could arrest him if he ever came back, which obviously sounds like a trespassing statement, right? And and she goes, I didn't do it because I, I don't do anything the police tell me to do without my lawyer. And I'm just going, okay. And she just... She was just really putting on airs, too. She was like this famous tennis star. and I mean, she had this whole elaborate story, man. She got me hook, line, and sinker. But the weird thing is she paid me $200 just for talking to her on the phone for four hours at night. And, and I, I told her she I She got a discount. I guess so. I, I was selling it cheap back then, but <laughs> I've learned my lesson now. But anyway, so I, 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 she still had me going. And uh, so the next Monday, I, uh, I went to pull the call for service report, and I get a call from an officer in the records department, the police department. And he told me, he said, sir, there's no record of anything like that happening. And he goes, and he knew who she was. And he goes, did she sound like she may have been drinking? And I was like, say no more. You obviously know who this gal is. You know, and um, she would, but she would call me and text me that all weekend. She would text me, I think I hear something in the bushes, like all this stuff. Like, 
I was her best friend or something all of a sudden. I just, it was, it just weirded me out. Like, I guess I, I should have thought better, but it really amazed me that anybody could be that desperate and lonely or whatever the hell is going on that they're like, I'm just going to look up a random private investigator and start divulging all this stuff and playing this drama. And I'm going to pay, I'm going to give them money. Too. A, a lot of clients and potential clients out there really get this idea that we're their best friend, we're their confidant. They also tend to get the idea, usually from watching one too many TV shows, that every private investigator out there is a licensed bodyguard or able to do bodyguard work too. That's true. And swoop in with a gun in hand and save the day. And, you know, they don't understand that, at least in Texas anyway, there are various stages of having what's called a pocket card to authorize you to do various work and that being able to perform bodyguard work is separate from being able to perform investigative work, although it can be joined together from time to time under certain circumstances. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I think, like you said about the police, like it's kind of the same thing with me. I carry my gun for my protection, not yours when I'm working. Um, yeah, I, I, I get that. And it is funny how, you know, I've had some cases where I have gotten pretty close to some clients. And some have, you know, I, I think it was genuine. But you would be amazed at how some of them are. The second they're done with you, it's like, you know, they never knew you, you know, but you're their best friend until then. So, I mean, Absolutely. I understand, you know, and that's where being a professional comes in play. We we have to be aware that, you know, these people are vulnerable. Um, they're divulging a lot of, you know, it always amazes me how much personal information that, that, that they divulge. And um, I think it's hard to do that to a stranger unless you're at least pretending like your friends are going to be friends. I mean, just putting myself in the client's position, I, I think that I would probably, um, you know, feel the same way. Right. You know, you, it, it's hard. It's weird. It's like being naked in front of a stranger. Right. But you've got to learn where to draw the line between being sympathetic and letting somebody run over you. Yeah, it's very you know, true because they when, will. When a client picks up the phone, they call you up and they're talking to you for, you know, an hour or two every single solitary day and you're not billing them for it and it's getting to the point where you've run through the retainer weeks ago and they're not re-upping, they're just wanting to talk your ear off, you've got a problem. Absolutely. And there comes a point where you have to put distance and... You know, maybe even ignore that call because that you're getting to the point where that client is really and truly now an ex-client, and they more than likely are not going to hand over any more cash your way. Um, you know, and, and it it sounds very crass and no, but at the uh, end of the day, this is a say it, but yeah, yeah, at the end of the day, this is a business. This is a business, and there comes a point where you do you have to cut those lines and draw yeah. those lines. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, absolutely. Well, on that note, let's take our first break here. Uh, not really because we're taking a break or having commercials, but just because I want to save at least this segment and uh, in case my computer crashes later. And play it back and see how we did? No, we're not going to play it back. We're just, oh, come on. you got to play back a little of it. No. Okay. Maybe just a little. All right. Welcome back to... Segment number two of podcast number one of DFW Confidential. My guest today is David Schaefer of Schaefer Investigations. If you need a PI, process server, especially in Collin County, David Schaefer is the man to call at Schaefer Investigations. David, how can people get a hold of you? Ah, uh, Well, they can call us at 214-545-4700. Or visit us online at www.shaferinvestigations.com. And that is the short six-letter spelling of Schaefer, S-H-A-F-E-R. And investigations is, of course, plural. All right. Now that's how you get a hold of David, folks. And, um, David, what would you say uh, your specialty is or most of the work that you do when it comes to investigations? 
Uh, most of the work that I do involves either background checks or criminal defense. Oh, criminal defense, which brings us to segment number two, criminal justice. So, uh, David, you have a lot of experience in the criminal justice system as a criminal defense investigator mostly. And the hot topic around here has been the new district attorney, John Crusoe, and his criminal justice reforms in Dallas County. Now, in case you uh, have been living under a rock, uh, he issued some uh, reforms or some positions that the Dallas County DA's office is now going to be taking. Um, one uh, was not a big surprise and did not get that much controversy, which was that he was not going to prosecute uh, marijuana uh, offenses, what, under two ounces, uh, you know, Class B. Um, and the other one that was more controversial that I think caught him by surprise was that he wasn't going to prosecute, and this is a little bit complicated, he wasn't going to prosecute any theft uh, cases under $750 if the defendant was stealing the items for necessity. And that one really got people talking, didn't it? Uh, yeah, it did. And quite frankly, it's a disaster of a policy. Um, of course, I I don't live in Dallas County, uh, but I do perform a little bit of work in Dallas County. And quite honestly, I should be cheering them on because that's going to lead to more work my way in the long run. But uh, I think politically, that's going to be a disaster for him. Well, in all full disclosure... Um, John Crusoe, he was a judge for a long time, and then a, a short time he was an attorney in private practice. So uh, he has helped a friend of mine uh, probably about 15 years ago as a, uh, a judge. Um, he's actually helped another friend of mine as an attorney more recently. Um, and so I have uh, dealt with him on a professional level. Um, and I did support his campaign, which is the only political campaign I've ever supported just because I was familiar with, um, with him. Um, just, you know, did a little bit of block walking for him one time. I, I wasn't his number one volunteer, but I did support his campaign. So I don't want to um, be uh, lacking full disclosure here. But I will say that the... The uh, the theft policy as a as a business owner, I, I found that very interesting. That one kind of kind of shocked me. Um, I don't know why he would announce that policy. I could understand him instructing uh, you know the office not to prosecute those types of cases where he felt because I know where he's coming from. Um, I, I've talked to him, I've dealt with him, and and you know he he very much has a. Um, his passion is definitely to to keep people out of the criminal justice system that are better served otherwhere. You know, they have mental health issues. They have, um, you know, other issues. But there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. Now, if you look at Collin County, Collin County has a special mental health docket mm -hmm. that is designed to get people through the system and get their cases disposed of in a quicker fashion while still paying respect to the fact that they have mental health issues and get them any mental health treatment that they need per place them in a particular what Collin County calls a pod that is the mental health wing mm -hmm. of the You're Collin talking County. about why they're actually in jail. Yeah, while they're actually in jail. In the Collin County uh, jail or detention center and it keeps them away from some of the more hardened criminals in as many circumstances as they can versus simply saying, okay, under $750, we're not going to prosecute this. Now, I understand that D.A. Crusoe put limits under the circumstances. It has to be an established need like diapers and things of that nature. But the average Joe citizen isn't going to look at it that way. The average Joe citizen is going to look at it as, Oh, as long as it's under seven hundred fifty dollars per item, I can, you know, I can steal it and get away with it. No, no big deal, you know. Or a hundred under seven hundred fifty dollars total, I can steal it. No big deal. Yeah. And there are a lot of people out there that, quite honestly, you know, Texas state or Texas has a firm policy of ignorance of the law is not justification. 
It's no excuse. Sure. But I can tell you that a lot of people that I have dealt with over the years weren't even aware half the things they were accused of was illegal to begin with. And when you have somebody that just blanketly does not have an understanding of the law, announcing a policy like this is going to be a recipe for disaster, or has the potential anyway to be a recipe for disaster. No, I agree. It's just asking for people to take advantage of it. Um, Quite honestly, I think it's going to lead to more business my way, even though I think it's a disaster for him politically. Because people are just going to make the defense of, right. I was poor, I needed it. Right. Like where where does where does my concept of need like I mean I do I do I need a PlayStation? Right? I mean can I just go to GameStop? Well, and then there are gonna be those out there that are gonna justify, oh, well, under seven hundred and fifty dollars I can steal it. Well that means I can break into this house and steal it. Yeah. Yeah, well You know, or I can break into this car. Let's let's use an automobile. It's it's a little absolutely. bit of a more grayer area you know you break into somebody's home and whether they're home at the time or they come home while you're in the midst of it and it's a well-known rule in texas even if it's questionable that you're pretty much justified in opening fire on that burglar but if you break into somebody's car it gets a lot grayer because you have the right to protect your property and Texas law now states that and you're... so do business owners, well, even yeah. if you own a convenience store, you well, have a right. Well, but a convenience store is really more of an extension of your of your home than your car. Your sure. car gets a lot more gray area. Yeah. If it's in the parking lot of your business or the driveway or parking lot of your home, it's more solidly an extension of your sure. residence. But if it is in just a public parking lot and you are away from it, then there comes questions of, well, was it after dark? Or was it broad daylight? If it's broad daylight, you have the ability to see more of what is in the burglar's hands. You have to, you know, okay, you have the ability to chase them off verbally, you know, show them that you're armed and give them the chance to give up or run. You can't just walk up and open fire at North Park Mall in the parking lot because somebody's breaking into your car. That's not going to fly. Yeah. And. You're going to end up with people, in my opinion anyway, you're going to end up in situations where people are going to think it's justified to break into vehicles to steal anything that they believe is under $750 and it's legal for them and other people are going to feel that there's no choice but to, unfortunately, use deadly force and somewhere down the line somebody's going to end up tried for aggravated assault or murder, you know. Something that's, uh, while we're on that, let's get something very clear. And I say either aggravated assault or murder. You know, very rarely is somebody ever tried for attempted murder in Texas simply because the attempted murder statute has the exact same felony level and penalty as aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And aggravated assault with a deadly weapon is easier to prove. So even when the appropriate charge would be attempted murder, District attorneys generally file with the grand jury for an indictment of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon simply because it's easier to prove and has the exact same penalty. Yeah, and uh, for those of y'all playing at home, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon uh, is a very, very easy charge uh, to catch if you have a habit of pulling out handguns and waving them at people. Um a lot of people don't realize. I don't believe there's an actual brandishing statute in Texas, but um, the aggravated assault with a deadly weapon charge is basically you just have to display a handgun uh, with the intent to, uh, with, with basically the intent to piss off or, or disturb the other person. Okay. You have to fall under the, uh, under either the assault, you have to fall under the assault. Um, yeah charge beforehand before you can be charged with aggravated assault yeah but there is a statute or a portion of that particular section which is chapter 22 <clears throat> of the texas penal code that actually says that you can assault somebody by threat oh yeah yeah i've actually read now there are defense attorneys that say i've never heard of an aggravated assault by threat and there isn't an aggravated assault by threat um, however, there is an assault by threat, and then when you display a firearm, it becomes aggravated assault. Yeah. Um, and it does very clearly state that by pointing a firearm at somebody, 
and not being justified in the use of deadly force. That is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah, so all you people that think you're going to uh, get your uh, LTC and you're going to whip out that gun and point it at the bad guy and say some really cool words, uh, that's not how it works uh, out there in the real world. Uh, but let's let's back up. I, I don't want to. I want to go back to what you were talking about with mental health because I know exactly, and and I'm I obviously don't 100% agree. And I think even Crusoe has said that he would have done some things a little differently uh, on these policies. I 100% know where he's coming from. Okay, and 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 one of the things that I think we can all agree on because it's a fact is that uh, the. Texas Department of Criminal Justice is the number one mental health provider in the state of Texas right now. And where Crusoe is coming from is that this mental health problem, it, it's, it's, it's on the criminal justice system, whether we like it or not. It's there, right? Um, you know, maybe you don't remember, but, you know, uh, one of the things that happened, at least anecdotally, uh, when there were a lot of federal cutbacks in the early 80s, right after Reagan was elected, as a lot of people talked about and said that the funding for mental health in the long-term hospitals, I mean, you could actually get locked up in the funny farm, right? If you didn't act right, right, you could actually have somebody come and take you away in a straitjacket. I mean, my family was always a joke. You're going to get sent to Terrell if you don't straighten up, right? Yeah, my family had the same joke. But you cannot get sent to Terrell now. Now what happens is they give you a social security check. They put you out on a street corner. And good luck to you. you oh, know? you can still get sent to Terrell. That, Terrell is still active. You, you would still have operating. to be. Yeah, yeah, have you been out there lately? Barely. Yeah, it uh, looks more like a ghost town museum. Okay. But. But, but you have to be basically catatonic, drooling on yourself in a wheelchair, cannot move, cannot even feed yourself. If you, can do, if you have any type of ambulatory movement and, and you can get yourself a block down the street, you're not going to be in any type of state-run... Or criminally uh, incompetent. Well, whatever. But you know that the, the pattern, the, the, the model has shifted. Get these people in their, their SSDI or SSI Social Security, and they put them on the street, and they give them money, and they're everybody else's problem, right? Since that funding, so, so that mental health problem is on the criminal justice system. And I do see where Crusoe is coming from, because if, if the criminal justice system is is going to be getting these folks treatment and and it's really the criminal justice and mental health system at this point let's be honest okay and 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 if you can get these people treated then why are we doing it and then putting them out there with a felony or with a criminal record to where even when some of these folks not all of them but we do know some of them do get their stuff together and they do get on their meds and they do get treatment and now great we're glad you're on your meds you're, you're doing well, but you're a felon. Good luck getting a job. You know, that is one way to look at it, but it's also a very one-sided way to look at it. Do you have any idea how many people I've dealt with that have been on the mental health docket in Collin County? And when you talk to them, there is not a single thing wrong with them. You know how easy it is to get on the mental health docket? But you don't know if there's oh, nothing wrong with them just by talking to them. You can't diagnose somebody just by talking to them. Oh, when I, when I say by once you talk to them, look, you need to understand that part of being an effective defense look, investigator is to speak with them often. But Dr. Phil can't diagnose people just talking to them. David, I give you all due respect. I'm sure you're great at what you do. But if Dr. Phil can't diagnose somebody after talking to them for an hour, I don't think you can diagnose. And let me just, I, I, know, it, I know it's frustrating because I've seen these people too. And let me tell you, I had a really good friend of mine. Okay, he still is. I've been friend with, friends with this guy for 20 years, okay? Um, when I met him, he was on disability, but it was never enough, and he was always doing stuff. And I always had divided feelings about him, okay? Mm -hmm. About, you know, is this guy just immature? Is he just really... Anyways, he was in the military, okay? He had a short stint in the military, and he got hurt, and then things started happening in his life, and... and um, basically they they got him in the military he told them when they were gonna he, here's a story he tells me he tells me he he, he uh, 
he woke up one day and basically his whole unit had shipped out to the first Gulf War, uh, Persian Gulf War, right? And he went in there and the CO's officer and said, Where, where's everybody at? Went to the war. Well, when do I go? You're not. Well, why not? Because we're kicking you out of the army. Well, I'll fucking kill myself. Well, okay, we'll get you hooked up with Social Security too. You're out, right? They kicked him out on the street and got him on SSI. And, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he would tell me things. I, I knew he would suffer from depression and stuff. But like I said, I was always real divided on this guy, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this year, down at the VA, they said they should have declared him 100% disabled veteran way back in the 90s. He gets full benefits now. Um, you know, he, he gets more money than he's ever made in his life. Every okay. month right now. He gets full benefits. He's getting treatment. It's not bullshit. Okay? But I thought it, I, for a long time, I thought it was bullshit. You know? And myself. So I just want to say, and this guy, you look at this guy and you think there's something wrong with him. And that's what I'm saying. But what I'm telling you is there are some people sitting in the mental health lockup. There's not a single thing wrong with them. They think it's a joke that they tell them, oh, yeah, sometimes I suffer from depression. Uh, sometimes I think about killing myself. Yeah, I'm going to kill myself if I go to prison. And they laugh about it when they're talking to you friendly and they think that you are 100% on your side, which for the purposes of the investigation, you are, mm -hmm. but you're also a human being. You know, you're know, you not there to be their friend. You're there to work on their behalf and make sure that they really are guilty. And if they're not, find the evidence that proves it, if it, if any exists. Okay. Um, you know, there are, my point is, maybe I phrased it wrong, but there are people on the mental health docket that not only scam the system, but take very, a lot of pleasure in scamming the okay, system. Okay, you're right. You know what? And there's there's people who do the same thing on the tollway. But what I'm talking about, okay, is the mental health problem. Where else do people get mental health treatment? Not everyone is is pretending. I mean, you've been to downtown Dallas. You're gonna tell me all those people. The only thing wrong with them is just that they don't. There's a lot. Of, I, every time I go to downtown Dallas, I tell people this. Go to downtown Fort Worth. It looks like before the atom bomb hit. And go to like downtown Dallas, and it looks like the post-apocalyptic world. You know, there's like hope. It, it smells like urine. I had a guy. I, last time I went down to the Georgia on Court building, um, I had a guy came out. I had a guy had both of his legs cut off from diabetes, okay, in a wheelchair, right? And harassing me for a cigarette. What are you doing outside of the courthouse? Well, I was leaving. Why don't you just use the uh, parking garage? Because I didn't want to use a stupid parking garage. It costs money and it smells. And it's, anyways, point being, point being, but you know what? Point being, this guy's starts. talking smack to me, right? Uh -huh. About not having a cigarette for him. Uh, and and you know, it's just, and, and I have compassion, okay? But it, it's just, it is like. Uh, it is just like anything goes down there now. I mean, you've been to the West End Station. I hate to break it to you, but it's always been anything goes. Well, apparently so. But the point the point I'm making being, I see a lot of people with some severe mental health issues down there. I see people talking to themselves. I see people urinating on themselves. I smell them urinating on themselves. Uh, to me, it seems like it's worse than it has been. Uh, I know there's people take advantage of the system, but seriously... This falls, these people fall into the criminal justice system. We don't have a mental health system. You're not going to call somebody, David, if you start going, you know, blah, 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 you know, and losing your mind right now, is there anybody that's going to come and take well, you away? That's a sympathetic way to put it. They're going to take you to Green Oaks at worst. They're going to take you to Green Oaks, okay, or, or Timberlawn. For about three to four days, after you, after you go to Parkland, a psych unit. It's going to be a little hard to take you to Timberlawn. Have you been there lately? Did they close it down? I believe so. Okay. then So here's the deal. You'll go to, and a lot of people don't know this, how this works. So if, if, if you're in a true blue psychiatric emergency, say so you go in a full-blown psychosis, okay? You go, you get picked up, you're going to go to Parkland to the psych unit. If the docs, doctors decide that you got some real troubles, they're going to hold you there until bed opens at Green Oaks. Then you're going to go to Green Oaks, where they're going to pump you full of probably Thorazine. 
till you don't even know what day it is or what color the sky is anymore. And, and, and they're going to, quote, stabilize you. Okay? That's not exactly how it works every time. I have seen literally a dozen people go through this. Yeah, process. but here's the bottom line. You know, if you have a local law enforcement agency pick you up, they're not going to take you to Parkland. If you have Allen pick you up, they're going to take you straight to Green Oaks. And Green Oaks takes you. And they hold you overnight and they evaluate you. They don't immediately pump you full of any kind of drugs. Okay, well, I might be exaggerating a little bit. But the point being, they're going to stabilize you, which usually means they're going to give you drugs. After they evaluate you and determine that you need them. Yes. And then where it's going to happen three or four days later, you're out on the street. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, if you're a threat to yourself or others, they're going to lock you up for longer. Well, how can you be a threat to yourself or others when you got so much Thorazine in you that you can't even keep your eyes open? They, if they have to have that much in you, they're not kicking you out on the streets. I all that's no, not, I've seen it. I've yeah. seen it, and I've seen them hold people because they've got that much in there. They legally can't kick you out with that much of an, any kind of narcotic or any kind of drug in you, unless it's something that is prescribed for your regular use. Otherwise, they would get shut down. Well. Look, I might be using a bit of hyperbole here, but what I'm saying is that they, quote, stabilize you. They use the drugs to get these people into a state that they're not prone to normally being in, which is normal. I agree. Normal, calm, whatever you want to call it. But what happens? So they discharge them. And then it's a cycle. Then here they are right back later where they're at before. Okay. Now, here's my question that I'm going to throw out to you. What does delving into all this political debate have to do with private investigations and what we do for a living and the purpose of this broadcast? Nothing. It's just a fun topic. Uh-huh. Just want to see what you thought about that. Well, I mean, that's, I'd rather get into the stuff that I really know a lot about than political beliefs and opinions. Okay. So let's talk about what you want to talk about. Hey, this is your show, man. You go on ahead and lead the conversation. Well, that was my that was my big hot topic was John Crusoe because I know a lot of people had a lot of opinions uh-huh. about it. Um, you know, the criminal justice system uh, does end up dealing with a lot of mental health. You deal with a lot of those people. You have experience with it. I do. You know, I I totally see that he he's trying to improve the outcomes, but I I do agree with you. It 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 does seem uh, less thought out. But I think it's going to be here, – here's the last thing I'm going to say about uh, Crusoe's announcement. I think it's going to be every bit the political disaster for him that Faith Johnson's gung-ho, go-after-everybody-prosecute-everybody attitude was for her and how she superseded even the Texas Rangers and their superior investigative skills – to seek out an outcome that she decided was just and she decided was hers. And, you know, time may prove her right in the long run. I just think that was a political disaster for her. And I think this uh, announcement regarding the prosecutions by their new gang for Dallas County, John Curzo, is going to be equally a disaster for him in the long run. Well, no matter how it turns out, right, as long as you're in elected office, everybody's got their critics, right? Well, this is very true. That is true. So, all right, getting on to the next subject that I uh, did want to talk to you about regarding private investigations is uh, there are some bills currently in the uh, Texas House and Senate right now regarding the way we're regulated. Yes, those would be House Bills 1530 and Senate Bill 616. And you've been keeping up with this a little bit more than I have. Um, So what's the latest um, well, I actually have not looked up the latest. They had public hearings on the 24th, and to be brutally honest, I have been so slam-packed with uh, both personal and professional business, if it would, if you will, that I have not gotten the opportunity or taken the opportunity to look up the minutes for the public hearings or to determine if they have made any changes to the bill or where it is in committee. What I can tell you is that last checked, it was in committee in its original format, and it was scheduled for hearings. And what the bill that is in committee, what what exactly are the major changes as we know? Uh, Major changes as we know 
are the elimination of the qualified manager. Um, it does vaguely state that an owner or shareholder must be qualified to own a company and must take what we currently refer to as the qualified manager's exam. And just so somebody would have to have the required experience, but the actual terminology of qualified manager has been deleted. Um, it also gets rid of the private security bureau and puts together a basically a public safety committee within the Texas Department of Public Safety, which, by the way, we will still be regulated under. Those are the two major changes. Mm -hmm. So just so people that aren't familiar with the process uh, understand right now, so the state of Texas is kind of weird. The state doesn't necessarily license uh, an individual private investigator. It licenses an investigations company. Like Correct. Schaefer Investigation. That's the other change that's coming about. So we're going to move from licensing companies to... Um, well, under its current fashion, as you know, the company is licensed and mm -hmm. all employees right down to the owner and manager are registrants of the company. That's right. You know, so when yeah. we say, I'm, you know, when you and I talk to people and say, well, I'm a licensed private investigator, we're actually kind of misspeaking, but that's yeah. the simplest and generic term yeah we're actually we're actually we get a cool little card that looks like our driver's license but it really just means we're right. registered under a license company a company hey, that by, holds a license by the way if it passes you know driver's licenses are no longer going to be issued by the department of public safety right who Who's there's going? a there's a bill one of the sunset bills is in fact that actual sunset bill 1530 was it, yeah 1530 and uh, senate bill 616 mm -hmm. they both transfer the issuance of driver's licenses and the management of driver's licenses to the texas department of motor vehicles but anyway well that explains uh, why dps has been shutting down offices and doesn't really give a crap how long right yeah but they're still going to issue the licenses to carry and uh they're going to regulate the private security but as it is right now, uh, you get a li you have a licensed company, and mm -hmm. everybody is a registrant under that company. Part of the sunset bill is every individual is now going to have what's called an individual license. Now that does not mean that they can get that individual license and go out and work. They're still going to have to be working under a company license, mm -hmm. and you know so it's going to be the same as registrant. It's just going to mean that when a person says, I'm a licensed private investigator, they're telling you the truth. They are a licensed private investigator. Kind of makes it a little grayer and a little more difficult to figure out if they're working legally, in my opinion. Um, I'm going to be bluntly honest. I am not a big supporter of the bills uh, of either 1530 or 616 in their current form. In fact, I've gone so far as to email members of the Texas House and the Texas State Senate personally with my requests and suggestions for changes for what little good it'll ever do. But I've gone on ahead and taken the step of doing it just so that my voice is heard. Mm -hmm. There are a number of things that really and truly need to be changed mm -hmm. with that bill. To It's not so much that it's a bad bill. is It leaves the door wide open for too much interpretation mm -hmm. you can read the bill and interpret it however you want mm -hmm. and you know it, it's in my opinion it borders a little too closely to deregulation and while deregulation may be great in certain industries you wouldn't want somebody practicing law without a law degree and passing the bar the bar test or bar exam you definitely do not want somebody conducting investigations that doesn't have a clue what he or she is doing Otherwise, you are throwing money down the drain. And for people that believe that, you know, the, the amateurs and the scam artists will be found out in the long run, yes, that's true. But the problem is this is a line of work that is so expensive that the amateurs and the scam artists will cheat people out of money, disappear, and those people aren't going to have the money to 
hire a PI that knows what he's doing that really is a private investigator to get the job done right. So basically you're going to run into a lot of people that are going to be very sour on the private investigations industry and are not getting anything done and or companies out there that are going to feel the need to perform pro bono work to try and make it up to potential clients and save the image of the overall industry. And either way, it's bad for the industry. It's bad for the state of Texas. It's bad for the general public as a whole. It, it's just the wording, the language in the bill needs to be strengthened to protect the general public. Plain and simple. Well, one of the things that I found, I, I you know, when I went through the licensing process and, and the qualified manager exam and the, the getting the investigations company license myself, um, nobody really seemed to give a shit about competency um it was really about uh regulations which i i guess you could argue maybe that's competency but it it was really to me the only thing that that was really set up that was that that the state does do is it just makes sure that like i said the qualified manager is responsible to the client for um the reports and for for that's the person that's responsible right to the client uh, so how would these bills change that if we don't have a qualified manager then then who who is ultimately responsible you all right there buddy yeah <laughs> who's who's ultimately responsible to the client uh when they hire a licensed company uh well it will be the owners of the company so one, I mean, it's still the way the bill is written. There is still one owner of the company that must be qualified. So basically, what it, it what the bill aims to do mm -hmm. is get rid of the days where you could start your own PI company mm -hmm. and then quote unquote hire a qualified, qualified manager, manager. Okay. and then the qualified manager could be anywhere in the country and not actually manage the company okay um so now one of the owners that one of the owners or shareholders stakeholders however you want to call it has to be qualified okay. to own a company yeah but even in that instance i don't believe the language is very is clear enough on it yeah and you know that's one of the things that i shall not just somebody uh random uh off the street unlicensed one Heaven forbid you have to have that person testify. Uh, you know, we are uh, background checked, fingerprinted. Um, you know, we have to have insurance, uh, continuing oh, yes. education, a lot of things. Um, the last thing in the world that I, I, I guess it would be the, the attorney's dream to have uh, the uh, private investigator for the other side to show up and be a, you know, convicted criminal with a uh, oh, horrible background and uh you know no, oh, no I'll, I'll, I'll do you one better part of my job as a criminal defense investigator is i work appeals work as well mm -hmm. uh generally for writs of habeas corpus where the only thing that you can really claim more often than not is one of two things true innocence or ineffective assistance of counsel mm -hmm. if i'm working an appeal and I run the name of an investigator that worked the case, and that investigator does not show up as ever having a license in the state of Texas or shows up as having a criminal record, mm -hmm. I'm drooling at that point. Mm -hmm. Because as far as I'm concerned, the attorney, the defense attorney, original defense attorney, did not exercise due diligence in ensuring the proper licensure and competency of the investigator that he or she hired yeah and my opinion not granted i'm not a judge i'm definitely not an attorney but in my opinion that is a classic example of ineffective assistance of counsel and i can tell you of one attorney in particular in the area that would agree with me on that hands down and if i ever working one of his appeals cases brought him evidence that the original defense attorney hired an unlicensed quote-unquote investigator or a quote-unquote investigator that has 
a criminal record, whether it be beforehand, still managed to get a license, beforehand, never has had a license, or even acquired that criminal conviction and lost his license mm-hmm. post-conviction of the client, he would pounce all over that, you know, like white on rice. So, how many people do you think that uh, find themselves on the uh, on the business end of the criminal justice system? How many people do you think hire an investigator, and, and what kind not of people enough. do you, not enough? And that's what I was going to get at. So, wh- what exactly does a what does a private investigator? Because I don't think a lot of people think of that. Well, I, I explain it this way: the prosecution has. An army of investigators. Yeah. Well, I'll be able to know the DA's office has their own so investigators. you've got, well, that's just one section of it. Yeah. You know, it starts with the beat cop that shows up on the scene and does an initial cursory investigation. Then they hire a trained detective to come in and do the follow-up investigation. Sometimes the detective shows up that night or that day. Sometimes it truly is a follow-up investigation after the uh, patrol officer's report is filled out and kicked upstairs. Uh, you know, sometimes it goes from the initial investigator that was on duty that night or on call that night to another investigator, you know, within that department. Mm-hmm. Then, once the case is submitted to the DA's office, the DA's office has their own investigators that conduct follow-up investigations. Now, they... Keep in mind, these investigators are not deputies with the sheriff's department, although sometimes that work is farmed out to deputies with the various sheriff's departments. These district attorney's offices actually have their own investigators that are sworn TCOL certified officers. And they conduct their own follow-up investigations in preparation either for a, uh, we'll just call it an indictment for a misdemeanor where the DA's office declares whether or not they're going to char- file charges mm-hmm. or for a felony where it's a submission to the grand jury. Mm-hmm. And even after, let's just say it's a submission to the grand jury and the grand jury true bills and hands down an indictment, even after that, the DA's office has their own investigators to continue with the follow-up investigations and shore up evidence in preparation for trial. Now, a defendant typically knows about his or her right to an attorney. Not too many know that they also have a right as part of their competent, adequate, unbiased defense. They have a right to a competent, adequate, unbiased investigation of the facts on their behalf. So, if their case is severe enough that would warrant an investigation, now, you get busted by a patrol officer with two grams of methamphetamine, no... Man, I want you to investigate. Yeah, there's nothing to investigate there. You know, not that I haven't done taking cases like that, but I laugh every time I do, you know, because I know I'm doing it either to cover the attorney's rear end, or, you know, actually, there is no or. That's generally why I'm doing it. It's just a... Some defendants made some statement that has the attorney nervous. He's going to pull a stunt, and I'm there to cover the attorney's rear end. Um, Anyway, you know, cases like that generally don't need an investigation. Mm -hmm. But anything involving theft, breaking and entering, assault, sexual assault, murder, anything of that nature, you absolutely need an investigator. If, it, if your drug charge goes from possession to the point that you are being charged with being a dealer, manufacturing and distributing, beyond a large sum, there's a good chance you may need an investigator involved. Now, if you're charged with that because you got pulled over and you had all this, you had all this marijuana, say six pounds of marijuana in the trunk of your car, yeah, and that's why you're charged with manufacturing or del- and delivering or however, no, there again, you probably don't. But if they're basing this off of any kind of surveillance and thorough investigation, then yes, you need an investigator. And you're entitled to an investigator. So even if I'm, let's say, have a court-appointed attorney, you tell me that I could still get an investigator? Absolutely, you can. So how do Now, s- certain counties, it may be harder to get one than others, either because 
the judges are more difficult and less inclined to approve it. Um, public defenders' offices generally do not have the resources or the budget for an investigator. Mm-hmm. So if it's a, if it's through a public defender's office, you may not get it. You know, or in some counties, which will remain nameless, they've made life so difficult for people that have worked the end of the injured defense system um, that a lot of investigators simply won't touch court appointments. But you are technically entitled to court appointments. So it's considered as part of your right to an attorney for your defense? Yes. Wow. Now, um, the attorney still has to file a motion and get it and submit an order for approval by the judge. Yeah. And the judge can, at his or her own discretion, approve and deny well, well, on that note, folks, remember, you get what you pay for. And if you need a criminal defense attorney in Collin County, or investigator, not attorney, sorry, call David Schaefer at Schaefer Investigations. David, tell everybody how to get a hold of you one more time. Uh, you can look us up online at www.schaeferinvestigations.com. And that is the short six-letter spelling, S-H-A-F-E-R. Uh, investigations is, of course, plural. Or you can reach out to us at 214-545-4700. All right. Well, David, it's getting late. We had some technical difficulties to begin with. But, you know, I really do appreciate you coming in and being my guinea pig tonight. And uh, I think uh, I think everything went well. You know, I think we'll probably be to the top of the podcast charts probably by the end of the week, the month, <laughs> at the latest, man. Like, we'll, we're going to go we'll viral, man. We'll, you know, we'll... We won't even have to take any more surveillance gigs. We'll be just, we'll just be internet famous. So, anyways, David, though, I surely do appreciate you coming on. Um, hopefully, we'll have a lot more to talk about and uh, uh, a lot less technical difficulties next time. And uh, thanks a lot. All right, there you go.